Welcome to the Beat Bodega podcast. Music, culture, news, and more. Now enjoy the podcast, you punk motherfuckers. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Beat Bodega. Today with us is Chanel Monroe, who's now a veteran of the Beat Bodega. This is her second time. First as a magician, now as a singer. That's how we're going to do it. So, Eric, how you doing, brother? Hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Chanel, <laughs> how, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back on the show. Yeah, we've had Sean enough. So we figured he, he just sent me a text that he's at the gym. Hey, has, has he recovered from uh, the tattoo portion of the, of the past episode? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, exciting news. We got a gig at Houston State Fair. So we're coming to visit you in San Antonio and nice. getting his tattoo. Nice. <laughs> so we got a call nation. Did he did he communicate with our boy nation? Um, no, but he will. He will. He just said today he was really excited to to go check out his tattoo shop and yeah. come visit with you. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited. We'll have fun. Um, so yeah, so we should out just to give you a little back history about our show. Uh, the original show was just Eric and I, and then our buddy Gilbert uh, jumped on. And originally what we did was just pick one genre of music. And then we would talk about, uh, like we would each select like five or 10 songs, depending on the topic. And then we would discuss it. And then eventually, because it was like wrangling, uh, wrangling cats with these two, that we would all jump away to different topics. So we made it a little bit more uh, more dynamic and we you know, spread through topics, but Eric and I- That is this... interesting how he laid the blame on us. It's yeah, just... of course, yeah. I'm not gonna lay the blame on the fact that I came up with that <laughs> idea. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Eric and I, we messaged each other. We're gonna go back to our old format because it made more sense. So we, and you know, I, I didn't give this episode a title or anything. Well, until I posted your picture today. Um, so, oddly enough, we found out through the last episode that you were a singer in a punk band. Um, so Eric, I don't know. So you knew that it was the Brad attack, right? Uh, you also did Crush FX. Yep. And then Eric, I, I gotta send. I, I'm sorry I didn't send you the video to this, but DJ Jazzy Jess and the Fresh Princess. That's right. That, no way. That was pretty dope. <laughs> that was pretty dope. So, <clears throat> Chanel, oddly enough, we're huge punk fans. Um, that that was kind of our what well, that was like a kind of our coming of age music since it was through high school and into into college, right? Eric? And still today. And still today. Um, but so Chanel, as as being a, a veteran of the female punk rock scene, uh, we just wanted to talk about, you know, you know, how, how cool that you know, kind of the the punk industry was actually credited for pioneering gender equality in music. So uh, I was reading an article on uh, discover.com and uh, they were talking about it's the first time there was a balance in rock and roll, even though it was punk, but the fact that 
it was the first time you actually got to see all female groups, uh, you know, and then you had, you know, uh, Blondie and Patti Smith and, and which were kind of around the mid seventies, mid to late eighties. And it was all females in the punk rock scene. And it was the only place that actually had the opportunity to say, Hey, you know what? We don't care. You know, it wasn't, it didn't have to be male dominated. They, they just, you know, dug on the, on the vibe and the music. And, and it actually had a huge role in uh, the feminist movement. And so the, what I learned in reading the article was the term riot girl um, actually came <clears throat> from a, a feminist group in Olympia, Washington, and they would hold uh, discussions about sexism in local punk rock clubs. And that's how, you know, kind of that term exploded. So as, as funny as... Uh, Sorry, I, I, and my history might not be as deep as yours, but wasn't that like Kathleen Hanna and, and her band? What? The, uh, the whole Riot Girl movement? No, it actually... It was, it was before her? It was before really yeah and then um yeah and then you know then that part kind of introduced a lot of bands uh, or that were heavily outspoken in in uh in um in the feminist movement you know and then you you had a lot of the bands like bikini kill uh brett mobile slant six or yeah slant six heavens to betsy that you had all these punk bands that you know were spearheaded by these strong women and it was it was I it was a lot of history that I didn't know. And then while I was reading through it, I, I found it really interesting and in how they credit CBGB for being so accepting of you know female leads, you know, in the mid 70s and into the early 80s. So Chanel, you're part of cool history. How does that feel? I mean, you're giving me a history lesson too, because I mean, I would think that, you know, female singers have always been predominant if you go back into the blues and the jazz era. But Absolutely. when you said like an all female band, yeah. you know, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that probably was punk rock yeah. that started that. Um, I'm surprised as well, Eric, I would have guessed that Kathleen Hanna was the starter of the Riot Girl movement in Seattle, but that's cool to know that it sort of started before her. Before, yeah. Yeah. Um, she has a new project. Well, they came out a couple of years ago with a CD called The Julie Ruin, also really Oh, awesome. the punk singer. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite songs. <laughs> so good. Yeah. But... Uh, uh yeah, but I mean, I don't know. It wasn't just that because I mean, you had like Ronettes, you had Motown that had all girl acts too. Well, but yeah, are you but just it, like refer referencing like a band and stuff? No, like no. That? It's what I said. What what they what it's what I stated was it created balance in rock and roll. Okay. So gotcha. especially during that period, you know, yeah, Motown had a strong, you know, was huge when it came to female singers and and uh, you know to Chanel's point, the blues. But this was in, in the in the world of rock and roll, you know, because you had, yeah, you had Janis Joplin, you had Tina Turner, but in the, the seventies, the run, well, the run, runaway same period. So you know they they were credited for you know on the rock and roll side that was predominantly male and you know white and male and and 
And, you know, a lot of it was exploiting the females like leading into the 80s. But what they discussed in this article was how how the punk scene never saw that or or they never that was never a focus. It was just your cool band. Go ahead and play, you know, so and that's that's, you know, part of the article mentioning CBGB as as being so accepting of that. And, you know, because you had Blondie and, you know, um, who else came out? What other female singers came out of there? Um, Patty Smith. Patty Smith. You know, so um, it was it was kind of neat to read that article. And I, I and it was strictly out of coincidence, knowing that we were going to have you on on the episode. And I thought it was kind of cool to, you know, kind of tie in, you know, your history as a singer in, in the punk rock band and and uh, and, uh, you know, kind of start the conversation that way. And but I mean, it's it's cool when you look at, you know, when you analyze and say, oh shit, you know, I'm, I'm part of this historic group of women and, you know, and in a scene where, uh, you know, was so accepting of it, you know, cause I mean, you know, like Patti Smith, Susie Zoo or Susie Sue, uh, Debbie Harry, Eric's favorite Brody Dale. I'm joking. I'm, I said that's. <laughs> and I just think she's. I don't know. But you messed up Tim Armstrong. <laughs> but Belinda Carlisle. You know she's worth it. <laughs> oh Brody. Oh yeah. Oh, oh man, I just and you saw what's happening. I don't know. I, is it her, or is it the men she chooses? No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no way Tim Armstrong's not awesome. And then this dude from Queens of the Stone Age, man, they went through some crazy legal battles recently, man. You know, it's just like, man, you, you yeah, broke but, Tim Armstrong's heart. I don't, I don't but, know. I'm just, yeah. But but wasn't wasn't I don't the know what the relationship was like, but I'd rather blame her than Tim Armstrong. All right. Besides um listening to the Distillers albums, did you listen to um Brody Dahl's solo album Spinneret? No, no. That album, when I I did not stop listening to that album for about two years straight after I listened to it. Like I always loved the Distillers, but Spinneret brought it to a whole new level. She'd be there without Tim Armstrong, without Queens of the Stone Age, one hundred percent. I love oh, that I'm, one. I'm sure. I'm sure. I will Maybe. check it out then. <laughs> I wait to her. All right. So. So, Chanel, with that being said, so who, who are you, if you had to say, I'm not going to make it, you know, I'm not going to tie it into gender, but just overall your top five punk rock bands of all time. Um, Dead Kennedys are definitely the band that started it all for me. Um, I was raised um, in the suburbs uh, in a very sheltered lifestyle. And my older brother, who was nine years older, just happened to be a very expanded individual with an awesome CD collection. And I remember vividly being 13 years old and sneaking into his room and finding this Dead Kennedys album, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. And I put it on and it just changed everything. It just rocked my world. Like when people say punk rock saved my life, that's what the Dead Kennedys did for me. And then I told my brother how much I loved it and he immediately took me to a Jello Biafra concert. So that was the second concert I ever went to in my life and, and it went on from there. So Dead Kennedys, definitely first and foremost. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd have to put Brody Dahl 
there, um, especially with her album Spinneret, um, and just being a role model for women in music. Like, I, I like that you sort of started out the podcast, like talking about, um, you know, gender equality through punk rock music. I think it's not only because they, you know, really pioneered all women bands, but it's also because it's really a genre of music where women get to sing about women's rights right. and scream about women's rights. You know, like when I was with Brad Attack, we would sing songs about, you know, the right to choose and the right to have an abortion and like anti-misogyny, um, like lyrical content. So um, yeah, that, that's a little bit off track, but so yeah, Dead Kennedys, the distillers, um, probably no effects. It's just, it's just so classic. You just you have to, you have to. You can't, you can't yeah. not. Yeah. Um, I've listened to so much rancid in my life. That's got to be there as well. And uh, we're big rancid fans. Yeah. Uh. Just trying to put it all into the top. The scene when you were in the scene, because at least here in Miami, it was heavily male. Yeah. There were maybe like, I don't know, 10, 10, 10 women yeah. at the shows, like regulars, you know, like us. But it was mostly male. When you were touring, did you find, because it was, I think, well, this was, this was 90s, right? Mid 90s to late 90s. I think it, in 2000, with like pop, pop 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 punk becoming more popular i think more women started coming into the scene did you experience that at all or was, did you have a balanced crowd at your shows and like at our shows us uh, a balanced crowd still more predominantly men mm -hmm. definitely the bands we toured with predominantly men I've, i was still one of the only females in the punk rock scene i felt like i listened to a lot of female punk rock music myself just to balance that out like i constantly had sleater kinney and bikini kill and l7 and hole blasting just to keep it real for myself but uh no, predominantly male I, I, I knew you were going to bring up Tilt. I had to bring Tilt, man. Very underrated band that never got the attention they should have. And that yeah, that girl has an amazing voice. Yeah, Cinderblock. Yeah, Cinderblock. But uh, yeah, no, look, this is, I. you know, it's funny because you said you were kind of going off topic, but I actually like where you were headed when you were talking about when you, uh, you know, singing about feminism and, and pro-choice. And I mean, punk inherently is revolution uh, revolutionary music i mean especially kind of all the areas that it branches out to you know because you know you kind of for some strange reason punk and ska kind of landed hand in hand but you know how that was big uh, a huge part of an anti-racist movement in, in england you know with with the rude boys and and you know kind of like the anti-skinhead uh deal and then you know Punk's always been anti-establishment, anti-government, and um, it, it's it, what makes the genre cool is the fact that everybody had a voice, you know, against topics that they nobody expected younger people to talk about. I guess you know where you have all these young bands with you know kids that are in their nineteen and twenties talking about you know 
political statements and you know the theme. strong foundation too uh, yeah. and they were passionate it wasn't just yeah, like right throwing words out there like no you're challenging authority at that point uh, yeah so i mean i and i and i guess that that's almost kind of been the draw to punk the whole time yeah the music's great but you know sometimes you feel like you're part of something or, or that you're part of a statement but um but yeah no i all good bands even though you only gave us four chanel yeah, so the, the reason I was sort of like, you know, teetering on the fifth one was actually because um, Nirvana and System of a Down were coming to my mind, but it's like, those wouldn't be your your typical punk rock bands, but it's like... Uh, if Gilbert was here, he'd differ. Nirvana, Nirvana is a punk band. Nirvana will always be a punk band. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, I would say Nirvana was definitely one of the most influential ones, you know? punk rock it's 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 an attitude too right it's not just a genre it's it's like a, a feeling and, yeah. and an emotion so yeah no nirvana number five yeah i i you know it's funny because eric and i have talked about it before that you know you get these moments in and I, we well we actually spoke about it with uh yayo sanchez i don't know if you know who that is there, there's a famous viral video that it's the foo fighters uh, they're playing in Austin, and then um, there's a guy that they refer to as Kiss Guy that gets on stage and then plays with them, whatever, totally off the, that's totally off the topic, but it's, we had a long discussion about the feeling of being in a show. When you have that moment where everybody's singing together and you get goosebumps and, you know, it's just, there's always that one song that, you know, like, you're like, holy shit. And I... I felt like anytime I'd go to punk shows, like that's when we would get the feeling the most, you know, and we got, we had a really cool scene in Miami and, you know, there was this really small hole in the wall club, which we've mentioned a million times on this podcast called Cheers. And, you know, it was, it was predominantly punk bands on weekends. That's all it was. And all of us, all of our group of friends, everybody used to hang out there. And we got to see a lot of acts that became big later on for, I mean, what, what was the entry? $5 to get in, right? Five bucks, yeah. Five bucks to get in. And, you know, we saw Blink-182, Lagwagon. Um, everyone was, everyone every, on Fat Records pretty much yeah, came through there. Yeah. So, except for No Effects. They were too big to play there. At the time. Right, right. But, uh, I mean, it's that that was always a cool thing about, about the music is you had those you know, those choruses that were, uh, you know, that they were kind of unifying where everybody would get in the crowd and, you know, yell together or, you know, everybody would raise their hands at the same time or, you know, sing along with the, with the crowd. I mean, or sing along with the singer. So I, and it I mean, was aggressive too. Yeah. It was very aggressive. And that's why I bring that back. Like later you started seeing women go in the pits too. Yeah. And that was at a time where I'm like, I don't think I can do this anymore. <laughs> I'm actually scared to go in there now. <laughs> so it's it's cool. Like, it just evolved. You know, it's like, holy shit, man. Everybody's a tough guy here. You know, everybody could do this. And it was awesome to see that. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I feel like punk rock's not just inclusive to women. It's just a genre generally inclusive. You know, yeah. like, you know, 
in the early 80s, like just the unity between black people and white punks and anti-racist action and, and Antifa. And then now you're seeing, you know, like the gender equalities mm -hmm. um, going through punk rock scenes with um, Laura Jane Grace from Against yeah. Me sort of heading that whole movement. It's like, it's a safe place for, it's a safe place. Yeah. yeah. The um the queers, how about the queers, man? They were a big band and yeah. the turnout that we had for that, you know, like listen, Miami's a very machismo, Latin, you know, heavy, I'm the tough guy community. How many people were at that show that you're like, this is awesome, you know, yeah. like it's it's great. You know, it, it's like it, I don't know, it's it's like there's no there's there's no boundaries, right? Like not not boundaries, but there's like what am I trying to say? Like there's no gender, there's no color, it's just yeah, hey, we're here for the yeah, there's no silos. We're here for the music, you know. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no silos. Everybody. Well, but I mean, think think about what what it what it is. It's it's all the degenerates, the people that kind of were on the outside looking in. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, they, they, no. There were all the outcasts that people. Yeah. Did, yeah. So, so they found common ground in music, you know. And it, it, it's it's always been, you know one of my favorite top three genres of music you know and i mean and i was introduced to rock much later than than most like i didn't you know i i growing up in new york i grew up listening to nothing but hip-hop and actually it was eric when i was 14 that started introducing me to, to you know different forms of rock music but i think punk is the one that kind of connected me eric gilbert you know and, and, and another group of our friends and um Honestly, some of the best shows you you'll enjoy because it, it's so it's so immersive and engaging, you know. And and you know, if you're not in the pit, you're singing along. Everybody's crowding the stage, and you know the singers will throw their mic out and have people sing on it. And you know, it, it was now granted. And now that we're I don't know what going to war is like because I've never, <laughs> but that was the closest. Like I, I'd always compare it as like you're going to war with your buddies. You know, you're you're stepping in there with your buddies. If you fall, you know somebody's gonna pick you up. Yeah. It, that's what that was. What was cool about dancing and and doing stuff like that. Yeah. You know that yeah, everybody was looking out for you when you know if anything happened to you. Yeah, yeah, and, and never got ugly. Like it was well. I mean, sometimes you always have a dickhead that goes to a show, but. For the most part, it was everybody was, you know, inviting and, and you know, it, it was you were just there to enjoy the scene and the music. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm assuming the scene was the same in Canada, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Oh, he's still there. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So, all right. So one of the all time greats came from there. Uh, propaganda. Propaganda. I, I was just going to say, actually, I sh like a good Winnipegger, I should probably make propaganda my fifth favorite punk band because <laughs> it's too late, too late you know too late <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, of, one of my all-time favorites yeah, yeah. propaganda is awesome I, yeah. I talk about another person that is extremely outspoken in political views and, and and you know and sexual orientation and i mean it's they're awesome awesome band all right so wait, you wait 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 she was gonna say something about that um, i'm sorry <laughs> what were you gonna say I was just gonna say, Eric, if if you feel like it was going to war, um, definitely come check out a propaganda mosh pit in oh. Winnipeg. Oh, in Winnipeg. Oh, 
you have to bring your helmet and your face mask like it's uh, I find, so I that's find, what happens in winnipeg they mix hockey and mosh pit and mosh pits i don't know what it is about this city but i've never been to a more hardcore mosh pit in my life really? than right well, here in my hometown the last time i saw them was about 10 years ago and it was in this place culture room and i just saw that pit and i was like i couldn't do it i, I was already i think i was yeah, i was in my my 30s like mid 30s and i was just like I wanted to, but it's just that looked too violent for me. You know, it was just yeah. too much. But it's that their their music is so good, man. And it's just you know what's funny? I, I just remember I, I remember I I'm getting Eric. excited just thinking about <laughs> I call <laughs> I I called Eric. I called Eric one time, like uh when I was I can't remember what age I was, but I, I told uh, I told Eric. I can't tell if people are dancing anymore or they're fighting. And then you remember when I called you and I told you that and I go, and, and I'm like, I, yeah. I, I think we've gotten old. Like it's it, like, we're like, shit. We're, like I can't go in a pit right now. You know how painful that would be, but it, it's, it's, it looks fun, but I don't know if I could do it anymore. Oh man. But those you are good times. You could do yeah. it when the music hits. <laughs> Shut up. Chanel, you know, when you're in your mid forties, you know, like you, it's, you got to worry about things like arthritis. Uh, I got to go to work tomorrow. Uh-uh. Oh. Just, am I the old guy in the pit? <laughs> Those are just excuses. Have you guys ever been to Riot Fest? No, no. I took my brother who was 40 to Riot Fest and he was in every single pit. It's like the greatest punk rock and roll festival of all time. There's about five or six stages set up and there's so much good music. I actually ran away from The Offspring to listen to Jane's Addiction. And then I had to run away from Jane's Addiction to listen to The Misfits. And the bands play you their got best to see albums them live? from start to finish. Yeah, you know what? Here, I have like a t-shirt right here next to Oh, uh, I thought she was going to pull out The Misfits. Dude, As a matter of yeah, fact, they're just sitting right here. She got to see The Misfits live, man. Yeah. Because, wow because they like reconvened I, that was right that was that last like it was that they did the la show the new york show right and then they did that riot fest right that was what it was yeah that it's they like, did. Old, it was the, was it the glenn glenn danzig misfits right was it yeah. with glenn danzig yes it was oh, oh man okay. wow let's see, let's yeah. see. So, oh look at that oh look so you just mentioned sleater kenny uh naz sorry the hip-hop fan of me but that's a, that's that's a tremendous lineup. That's incredible. It just keeps going, like the <laughs> Misfits to Ween to Sleater Kinney to Deftones. Oh look, Lagwagon, Mayfair's and the Gimme Gimmies, Meat Puppets, and, Tendencies, Gogo Bordello. Like I, you know, I love Gogo Bordello. I am a huge fan of Gogo Bordello. I and this sucks when I when I lived in Tennessee, they were performing in an alley. Like underneath, a, like not an alley. There, it was underneath an overpass, and I, I had to work. I couldn't make it. I tried to get out of work early, and I just couldn't make it. And I'm so pissed because I, you don't see them travel in the United States that often. That, and I'm like, shit. I had the opportunity to see Gogo Bordello, and I missed it. But now that, that so okay, Chanel, here we go. That is so not punk, Carlos. <laughs> yeah, we we too had a, had a friend that had a similar situation <laughs> in your band. 
Hold on, his hold name on. is Gilbert. He didn't go see Nirvana concert because he had to work. Yep. That same year, Kurt Cobain died. He's, he's cute. One life to live. He was like, "Don't worry, I'm gonna see them in Lollapalooza anyway. Why go to this show?" Yeah. And, and congratulations. I hope you enjoyed Smashing Pumpkins, which was awesome, by the way. <laughs> which which, not, which was awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. So that what that Lollapalooza was what 94 Man, but that's so cool. You saw the original Misfits. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So what what what's what's the best punk show you've ever seen? Or what what's the most life-changing or been part of or been part of either one yeah either you performed or or you got to see um the coolest one i was a part of was opening for good riddance um that's one of eric's favorite bands yeah (laughs) i i got yelled at by the lead singer of good riddance not my fault russ he is he is russ rankin i have a russ rankin story too like He's he's full of himself, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I I I'm sorry, Shadow. I'm gonna cut you. I so I read it's a still thing. my favorite band though. Yeah. I, I also <laughs> read a thing that Chuck Platt is dying. What? That he was in a bad car accident and they're like I saw GoFundMe for him. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah, either he was in a car accident or he's he's like not doing well. All right, I'm sorry. So you got to open for good riddance. Yeah. And then the best punk concert I've ever been to, I you know, I again I can't say because it's just riot fest, yeah. you know. Uh actually, no, I, I can. Um, the Dead Milkmen reunited to play Riot Fest. Wow. And that was the happiest day of my life. That yeah. that must have been cool. Yeah, yeah. Again, that was a band that my brother raised me on. So he said by the time I was three years old, right. I was running around the house screaming dead milkman lyrics. And I was like, fucked up world. It's a fucked up world. And my mom was like, oh, my God, turn that music on. <laughs> yeah. Eric, I'm curious. What, what, what was your favorite punk show ever? I have a lot. Okay. Um, the me, last festival I went to is three. that one that I got. It was it was uh three years ago in Ohio or four years ago. I don't know how long we've been in COVID, but it was it was pretty <laughs> much all the bands that I grew up it, with listening, um, playing in the same place. So I I and I finally got to see face to face for the first time because th- I've haven't been able to see catch them when they were here. So that that was special to me. And then a year after I saw them again here in Culture Room. But one of my favorite shows was oh my god, I can't Civ. At Respectable Street Cafe, it was a Halloween show, um, and none of my friends came with me because they'd rather go trick-or-treating or to, like, some Halloween festival. So I went to the show by myself, think- and it just ended up being one of the coolest shows I've ever been to. Um, and that one was memorable, and Good Riddance was always a memorable show to me, except for the one where Russ Rankin was kind of like staring my friend Danny down because he looked different. We had just come after work and my friend Danny was like, he was a preppy guy. And Russ Rankin was like, what is this guy doing here? I'm like, and I just like, what's what's wrong, dude? What's the problem? And he just like, he didn't say anything, but I was like, I didn't like it. <laughs> like, dude, we came here to see you, man. What, what does it matter what we look like? You know, yeah. like whatever. And yeah, he he is full of himself, but whatever. That was one of my favorite shows. Cool. How, yeah, how, same. I introduced myself to the lead singer of Good Riddance when we were opening for them, and he just sort of like brushed me off or like gave me a rude look, like 
too good for me. I mean, I was just like a 17 year old kid and I was really stoked, but whatever. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. A grown man who wears a choke collar, like, shut up, man. Your lyrics are good, but you're not. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it, it's that it's never meet your heroes thing, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I it's think that was one of the good shows that at Cheers too, that it was, it was um, Tilt, that we got to see Tilt. And I think it was Good Riddance and Ladwagon on the same day. And this was at a at a small venue, probably smaller than my apartment. Yeah, yeah, that that venue was tiny, but we saw a lot of great shows there. I mean, like it, it's we saw Down by Law, Good Riddance, Lag Wagon, Tilt, uh, hardcore stuff to Earth. Yeah. like it, it just brought they brought everything. A lot of punk ska bands, yeah. Because the thing about Miami, nobody wants to come out here. We're so out of the way. So the farthest anybody comes down is Orlando. So yeah. at that time, to to have all these bands come down here was really cool. Yeah, but you know, it's it's funny because you know Miami is known for you know bass and hip hop and booty music, but the punk rock scene in the '90s was actually really big in Miami. And what I and oddly enough, when we went to go see, we went to go see No Effects and who opened for them, Bouncing Souls, right? Bouncing Souls, yeah, yeah, and. And actually, uh, Fat Mike made it, and I still remember, was he made a statement, and I go, oh, that makes sense why punk is so big. Because 80s metal was so big in Florida that a lot of those people, a lot of their kids ended up becoming, you know, punk rockers, and, you know, and and so that's why the punk rock scene did well. So I, I thought, you know, Miami, to me, up to that up to that point was all you know bass and booty music you know uncle luke and and dance music and then it was cool that this little punk scene developed into something cool i mean and you had you know less than jake came out of florida against all authority um you know you had a lot of a lot of prominent bands that were you know big punk bands in the 90s or or you know for what it was come out of miami and come out of florida so I, I, we we were fortunate to grow up in that scene because it, it was it's I guess it started and peaked while we were in the scene, which was kind of neat. Or when, you know, when we would uh, go to a lot of these punk shows, so that was fun. So, did, did Chanel, did you tour across the U.S. too? Unfortunately, no. No, we didn't break into the states. Uh, we just did uh, east to west coast Canada six times in two years. Oh wow. Yeah, we were called the hardest touring band in Canada at the time. And uh, and were you all in a van? Did you, was it like that whole DIY style, like from that 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 time period? Yeah, very much so. We were all in a van. We were all very broke. Like we were just you know eating like cold beans right from the can <laughs> to survive or to have enough money to buy OEs. Um, you know, usually somebody at the punk show would put us up in their house and we could mm. crash on their floor. There was definitely a couple of times where that couldn't happen and we all just slept in the van and parked in the Walmart parking lot. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good thing I was young. Yeah. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't change anything for the world. You, you wouldn't take that back, right? <laughs> no, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. So I, how... how... How long were you with what I didn't realize when when I looked up when I was like reading about Brad Attack was it was there was a lot of people that were in that band like it was like a revolving door. Like at least 40 people were in that band. That's crazy. 
Yeah, I think I was one of nine female singers. Yeah, it was more like a, a cooperative, like yeah, right. a revolving group of people. But that, so that was done purposely. That's a Canadian thing, right? That's a because I think you have another band out of Broken Social Scene. They do that a lot too. Maybe Broken Social Scene, but that that was sort of an anomaly. Okay. So so it wasn't the band wasn't meant to be collaborative. It just ended up working out that way. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was one main member that stuck through the whole time and everyone else just sort of cycled in and out. Um, like for me, you know, after two years in the band, like, cause I left high school early to join oh. the band and go on tour. So I was young. Um, like I started in the band when I was 16. And when I was 18, I just decided I wanted to explore other things in music and, and do something else with my musical path. So I left. So yeah, people come and go out of bands for different reasons. Have you ever heard of a band called Dysfunctional Youth? The greatest band that never was. <laughs> that, that was a band that Eric, myself and, and our friend Gilbert I'm not gonna say started because it never started, but we did have shirts though. Cool. We had one shirt, one shirt. <laughs> what, what, are you you play? Huh? what do you play? We, what? what oh, no, no, there was no band. Yeah. No, it was just an idea. Yeah. So, so Gilbert made a shirt and everything, and it's like, no, no, like nobody in the band played. Like we didn't, we didn't have anything. Yeah. That's the most punk rock thing I've ever heard. <laughs> we're, we're, we're punk as fuck. <laughs> so after after you left the band, you stayed playing music, and what were you doing solo stuff? Um, I actually went to university and got a degree in theater. Okay. Um, and just sort of started expanding my horizons that way, and then so, like, I learned a lot about being on stage, stage presence, acting for the camera, acting on stage. Um, and then I took a lot of singing lessons because I developed super poor vocal habits screaming. Because <laughs> I had never had a vocal lesson and just, you know, just grabbed the microphone and ah, like over super loud guitar. It sounds good in call to action. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounded good, but, but I lost my voice constantly. Oh. I had to get um, like x-rays done to see if there was nodes on my vocal cords. And so it was actually years of vocal training to retrain uh, the way that I projected. So I did a lot of boring stuff after the band, you know, went to, well, university wasn't boring, but you know, I did a lot of conventional things, uh, school and vocal training. And then from there went into Crush Effects and then DJ Jazzy Jess. And now I'm working on my first solo album. Cool. cool. What was Crush Effects? I, I didn't get to, I just found out about that too. Was that, is that like electronic or? It was like a cool, like metal alt pop band. Um, I find that having that punk rock bass it comes with me everywhere into all my different forms of music, even if the music itself isn't genre or labeled as punk rock. There's so many different things that I learned from punk that just follow me around. So yeah, Crush Effects had like a more like poppier sound to it, but my lyrical content always kind of comes back to those 
punk roots and like standing up for something or fighting against something, you know, like something really ethical and like something that has a message. And then DJ Jazzy Jess Fresh Princess, that's all like, we spin like old school 90s hip hop, but then I do my own rap music and sort of like weave my original rap music into the DJ mix. And that stuff's all about like dudes and dating and like, I'm so hot and I'm this bitch and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> attitude. That takes a punk rock attitude, yeah. right? To get up there and spit it. Like, yeah. a, you know, like a lot of hip hop has that punk rock in your face, hardcore sort of attitude. Yeah, also a genre that was built on, on kind of revolution. And so absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And now I'm working on like a folk album, but I mean, folk so revolutionary, right? Yeah. Like if you go back to like it, that's, that's protest music. Yeah, that, that Bob Dylan guy was pretty popular. Uh, no, it, it's, it, it, well, you know what? I kind of seems like from, you know, from the late sixties through the seventies, like that, that's what music was. It was all revolutionary music. You know, you go from James Brown to any punk act to, you know, even um, even like the psychedelic bands, how they would, you know, subliminally, subliminally uh, would, uh, you know, hide messages, you know, that were kind of anti-establishment. But no, I, I it's, I, I, I feel like I've always gravitated towards towards those type of genres, like, uh, you know, where the music actually had a message. So, and and that's what I, I, I guess the bigger reason why I fell in love with hip hop, fell in love with punk, you know, and because I grew up with with a father that listened to nothing but old Motown and, and you know, was in Vietnam and, and uh, you know, you know, there was no separation between, there wasn't, black white hispanic native american it was just black or white so if you were puerto rican you were lumped into you know to to uh, to the black side of things so that's so i always grew up with that around me so and, and i guess that's you know either sub, subconsciously or not why i always gravitated to kind of like revolutionary type music so but and no, i it's you're absolutely right but i I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I know you were kind of finishing a statement. No, but, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what 15 are, minutes, no, I'm, I'm making uh, it tonight. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, <laughs> 10 minutes later. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the music I'm working on currently, it's, um, it's a Métis music uh, album. So in Canada, um, I have Native American bloodlines and heritage. Right. So in Canada, if you have that, you're called mixed blood or Métis. So I'm making a Métis music album because I'm very proud of my Native American and indigenous roots. Right. Um, Winnipeg, where I'm from, we've actually been called the most racist city in all of Canada. Uh, we have the largest urban indigenous population in Canada and there's, I see a lot of tensions and a lot of strife. And so I'm sort of making like folk protest music to sort of tell the story 
of my ancestors and our original roots in Canada, uh, leading towards a more uh, unified, uh, non-racist, uh, you know, non-ignorant um, frame of mind for for people living in Canada. Uh, you know, and it doesn't sound like punk rock. It's not loud. It's not fast. It's quiet, but it, like the message is there. You know, so I feel I feel like even though you know I left I left the Brad Attack, I'm always sort of like evolving and changing from from one genre to another, but the the roots are still there. Um, and it's sort of this tying sort of what you're saying, Carlos, like into, you, you know, the Puerto Rican identity that you identify with. And so why you've always gravitated to protest music. Like, I feel that I heard someone say once, if you're born indigenous, you're born political. Um, so I feel like I always sort of have those political ideologies weaving right. in and out of my music. Have, have you already have you started performing any of the any of your folk music now? No, I have the full demo album right uh -huh. now. Um, and then kind of COVID hit, so I didn't really have a chance to perform anything. So just sort of like playing it on my piano at home. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just writing grants right now to have the whole thing professionally recorded so I can have it sounding cool. exactly how I want it to sound. Cool. Cool. No, and I wish you all the luck. And then once you're able to share the music, let us know and I'll post it on our on our uh, Instagram or we'll have you back on again to, to talk about uh, your album once it's done. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, no, Metis is, is M-E-T-I-S or E-Y? M-E-T-I-S. Metis, the mixed blood, you know, used to be called half-breeds. This is the more politically correct term now in Canada. So what a kind of to piggyback off of that what uh the indigenous people of that area what because i know you know you go up in canada you have inuits and so like what 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 uh what group what, what i guess what what group of is my family from yeah yeah we're mostly cree um we've got a little bit of chippewaian like northern manitoba like churchill area but mm -hmm. i'd say mostly cree a little anishinaabe Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, I I actually I had another question. It was it's actually for both of you. It was it was an article that I was reading just before I I, I emailed uh, both of you. So, it was just a blurb of an article, but I thought it was interesting. Is the headline is is old music killing new music? Old songs represent seventy percent of the U.S. music market. Even worse, the new music market is shrinking. So well, why do you think that is, Chanel? Why, why, why do you think that people are gravitating back to old music and there's a shrinking, uh, uh, you know, shrinking market in the new music side? New music sucks. <laughs> That's the easiest answer. The new music does suck. Were you guys going to say the same thing? I mean, like, it's... Uh, yeah, but we're, but we're older. We figured you're younger. You know, I just wanted to hear a perspective. But yes, you're right. New music sucks. I, I go back to, you know, even though I have Spotify at my fingertips and I can listen to anything new, I often go back and recycle back to 
old albums and my favorites. I'm always open to listening for new music. It's just, you know, just simply have not found enough that really scratches that itch. Um, You know, another thing uh, I heard was that you actually learn more about music by listening to your favorite albums over and over and over again, like as a musician, you learn more from recycling your favorite things than constantly reaching out and gravitating towards music, new music. So I always have that in my mind too. Like, you know, what I listen to is actually going to shape my identity as a musician. Uh, And then I think, especially when it comes to punk, uh, you just want to listen to the old school bands. You know, there's very few new punk rock bands Uh, I listened to, I think I already mentioned Against Me, you know, is one of the only new ones, but stick with the oldies. Eric? I don't know, man. I don't know how to answer that one. I I just think people listen differently today, especially younger crowds. And when you say that that people are going back to, is this based on sales? Based on downloads and streams. Downloads and streams. Do you have age groups on those things? You know, because I think the way kids listen to music is completely different. They don't, they don't, I don't think they go There's to no- look who's gonna who's pushing to be the next streaming service, TikTok. Yeah. That's how bands are find how how kids are finding out about music through those little dance videos. Well, you know, artists are coming out like through through um I don't, know, I don't know if SoundCloud is still big, but things like that, they're like more independently produced things. Um, so I, and and then I'm going, I'm going to go back to the TikTok thing. Everything is, is in snippets, right? Like um, you're looking at a minute of content. Uh, kids today, they don't, they don't want to listen. I, I remember hanging out with some friends and their son was, they were, he was trying to show him a Dre Day song. I, I wasn't there. I heard the story. I just had to put myself in it because it's a Cuban thing, I guess, <laughs> that you put yourself to part of a story you weren't part of. But anyways, he told me that he was with his buddy and he wanted, he was proud. He was like, okay, my son's of age. I want to play him um, a Dre Day song or something. like. I, I forgot which Snoop Dogg song it was or Dre. And the kid's like, oh my God, this song is so long. It's six minutes. I could have listened to two or three songs at that time. Yeah, that, that, that time and it, it has to do and we, we you know like it's just that that i don't i don't have the time to listen to music anymore right i want i want short little little burst of uh of um you know what, what am I, of pleasure so i i i don't know i i think it, it might be the listener and and yeah of course it, it goes back that music does suck because now with streaming you have to put out so much and so fast to stay relevant. You know, these people are, 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 are writing a song a week, you know, and by the next week, you already forgot that song. You're on to the next one. And, you know, it's not like us that we had that tape stuck in our car. We had that CD player where we just listened to it over and over and over. And, and it creates moments for us. It, 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 you know, this is like I could flash back to a time in my life. Here, kids are now, you know, it, it doesn't last that long because next week you have the next new oh, oh song. The next hottest TikTok so, video. Yeah. So is it is it does music suck because there's less creativity, or it's because you know nobody nobody wants to take that time anymore. 
and it's just so accessible and diluted i guess that's that's what i think happens like i think it's not that the music sucks it's just diluted because you need to have so much content now to keep people engaged I, I I no I I don't disagree. I think I think it's a combination. I I, of, I don't want to say that it sucks, man, because you know people are working on it, man, and they're trying to do their thing. But yeah, they're they're it's watered down. It is. It, it is it watered is. down. So I I think it's a combination of several things. I think you're right that the attention span of of the generation behind us is a lot shorter because information is going so much faster, um, and you know. What I find interesting is, uh, fuck, I can't remember the name of the, the reggae song. Um, it'll come to me. But it just charted at number one and the song came out. Island Boy? No, that's, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? No, um, damn, why can't I remember? But it's it's a classic reggae song that came out I want to say in the 60s and it was on a tv show and everybody was acting like it was a new song and they started downloading and it charted at number one which is great for that artist but it just goes to show that that creativity i don't think there's a lack of creativity i think the, the focus on creativity isn't isn't what it used to be like now everybody's focusing on video content that lasts 15 to 30 seconds and because the celebrities now aren't Hollywood celebrities, music celebrities, they're TikTok celebrities, YouTube celebrities, you know, so it's, it's kind of hard to, to, to put into words since it's, it's not our, it's no longer our generation. It's not our time. And that's what they're into. But I, I think to Eric's point, because of the way creativity has shifted, there's a loss in the music world to put out, I, 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 for lack of a better way of saying, intelligent music. I also think you had such, such a long gap or such a long stretch of, you know, music that was written out of angst and, and revolution and, and wanted to make a statement. You know, you went from, you know, the 60s you know, fighting against Vietnam and the government and inequality. And then, you know, in the 90s and the 80s, it was everything was fun and great. So it was a lot of, you know, MTV was born so you could showcase your music visually. And then in the 90s, it was there was a lot of teenage angst and you had grunge coming out. And, you know, during in the middle of all of that, you also had hip hop coming out, you know, from from new york and spreading out and everybody thought it was a fad and then you know it kept on growing and growing and now it everything seems stagnant when it comes to that side of, of music you know it's you know it, it's just again little 30 15 or 30 second snippets and you don't you don't grow from that that you have a song that came out in the 60s or early 70s a reggae song that out of nowhere charts at number one just because it was popular on a show so it, it's it, i i just think we don't or i personally will say i don't understand the arts of this generation or how they view it or because it's just past us and now it is what it is 
it's it's the audience it's it's what you said earlier chanel the whole um that you you listen to it over and over and that's that's where you get the inspiration from the heart of the music you know if if you're just like it's it, it's more of a background thing now right. music it's right. just something that you play just to to know what's white noise, noise. It's white, it's yeah. white noise. you know and then it's it's just the audience and and if if you want to if if these people want to get rich now you know that's what they got to cater to yeah so it's gonna so what it's chicken and egg right yeah oh. it's weird but talking about how, how much how much hard have you put into your album right mm-hmm. you know like you you're spending time you think about every word that you put in that every sound that you put in that the, the, People now are just doing these little, you know, randomized mix based on an out, uh, a formula because they, they already proven the perfect sound that you could create. Yeah. You could you just reuse that and they just throw that out. You know, they have they have a program spitting out a, a um, what do you call it? Like a, a, a sample, like a, and then, you know, loop it, bam, there's, there's your new hit for the week. And it's yeah. like, okay, and, and thanks. And as a bearer, there's, and you feel like there's no longevity in that. Like I... I think there's going to come a point where superstars, rock stars, super celebrities, super movie stars will no longer exist because who in this period, like, you know, do you, could you imagine a, somebody that's TikTok famous or those little songs, to, you know, you brought up the Island Boys, that, that little 15 second nonsense of calling yourself an Island Boy Look at all the money that they've made in a short period, but they'll be irrelevant two months from now. And it seems like that that's that's celebrities gonna disappear. You know, I or but I the good thing is that there'll always be musicians and they'll always figure out a way to get their music out there. And and you know, there's always some kid that listened to their dad's records and wanted to learn how to play guitar, or you know somebody listening to their big brother's records and and i hopefully hopefully this is a fad and a phase and, and a lot of the old stuff starts coming back and i hate to sound like such an or or there's a progression in what we used to listen to and not necessarily bring the old stuff back but um it, it's just it's interesting times when it comes to music and and you know longevity of of these artists and you know, you have all these people selling their catalogs, like all these great artists that said, screw it. You know, I, I, I'm just going to sell all my shit, make my money and call it a day. Where before, that's what artists fought for was the rights to own their music. And now, now when they have it, you know what? I, I don't know how relevant I'm going to be. Just let me sell it all. So it, it's an interesting time in music. It's, it's, I, a little bit confusing, but hopefully, like I said, it's it's just a fad for us us fans of old music. But. That being said, also, well, like, also, I'm sure we all feel like our grandpas when we were like, you young kids and this music you listen to these days, it, like, that's how I sound. Mm. Like, that's how I feel like I sound talking about it. Um, but... I mean, I, I do think social media plays a large part in it, like you were saying, like short attention spans and plus like, you know, voices are auto-tuned and everyone's making like a guitar track on their garage band without even knowing how to play guitar. And so that leads to a lot of that washed down, watered down music. But 
the cool thing that came out of it is EDM music. Like yeah. EDM music now, that is a genre we've never had before. Yeah. And it's amazing and it, it sounds incredible. Like there's some really, really smart dance music out there yeah. um, and it's all electronic. So I would say that that's the cool thing that came yeah. out of it. Yeah, well, I mean, it was also, and it could be just regional, like it's, because dance music, it, it, you know, Miami was one of those main hubs where, you know, electronic music was popular in the 90s and, you know, New York, Chicago, Detroit and you know London Germany but it, it's and I'm glad that you brought it up because that, that's almost a good point of saying hopefully this is just those one of those weird periods and then there's another evolution in music that gets us excited again because you had people like Kraftwerk in the you know the 70s and the early 80s which they were ultimately making dance music they were making electronic dance music and then you know, it bled over into hip hop where you had Africa Bombada and Soul Sonic Force, you know, making essentially electronic break music. And then, you know, it, then it evolved into EDM, you know, and then hopefully, hopefully that's what happens here. But um, Eric, do you have any, any other questions for Miss Chanel? I do not. It was a pleasure having you here. That was yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. Really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I had fun. Thank you so much for inviting me back to the podcast. And um, yeah, Carlos, I can't wait to meet you in real life in Texas. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be there in three weeks. Yeah, no, I'm you excited. Show us the tattoo. Yeah. When he fixes <laughs> yeah. It. I, all these years that I've known Sean and, you know, a revelation was made by Chanel and uh, calling him out on, on the dicks on his back. Poor Sean. I've, I've seen that clip like a thousand times. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> But I, 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 if I it, felt so bad. Like you, it, it's there for the world to see now. Like it's like, well, God damn it. Well, so Chanel, Eric doesn't have social media. I, 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 like I'm surprised you let him. Like he let you post that. The, that <laughs> I, Eric, I, I don't, I don't want you to sound innocent right now because I'm gonna. Oh, I'm the worst. <laughs> but it, I'll, I'll always do it at my expense, not at someone else's. The, I, I, <laughs> I've never outed anybody else. No, no, but I, Eric. I if I'll try to send you the video, Chanel. I'm sure you've seen it because we're you know we follow each other on Instagram. The most outspoken person in that moment was you. Oh, and, I know. And then you when but, you when you, I, yelled, you, you when posted you, it on Instagram. Yeah. When you yelled, I see it, and now I can't unsee it. And then you you point out the ass. It's like two dicks walking into each other or merging into each other. Yeah. So I. I don't, don't be so innocent. But that was between us. No. That was between us, okay? It's a podcast and it's out there. It, it, it was, I feel bad because nobody sees it no, until I, I say it. No, but Sean's reaction. Yeah, Sean's reaction and telling the story on how you mentioned it and then your face when you just went. Because I felt, because you could tell it hurt Sean when I guess you told him the first time. He was like, "What?" And, but 
it's uh it's out there it's, it's gonna be there. awesome now it's yeah. gonna be really cool now yeah. it's awesome and the cover-up's gonna be awesome i, I yeah. hope imagine if nation looks at it up close and goes, i i can't do nothing with this you gotta live with it, <laughs> you live with it. oh <laughs> you know, yeah in, in real life no yeah <laughs> sorry bro. oh boy but this, we're just kidding sean we love you even regardless of the dicks but uh but Chanel, it was awesome having you. Thank you so much because I know it was kind of last minute me asking you. Uh, but I, I'm excited. Once once your other project starts, we'll, we'd love to have you again and, and please talk share. About please yeah. share, yeah. And then you know, we'll, and we'll support, of course, absolutely. Uh, thanks right. so much, you guys. It's, it was so awesome connecting with you, and yeah, I had yeah. a blast. It was fun. I think this is the first actual interview that we do. Because everything else has just been bullshit. Because I mean, we just had talk. yeah, well, no, because we had fun with. How that. dare you, Carlos? No, because when when we had the F and nerds on, it was just a laugh fest. Vanessa, but but we did an interview Vanessa. That's when we were doing genres, and we got her opinion. I guess we kind of interviewed Yayo. 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 Uh, but but Chanel, this was the most adult we've ever been on this podcast. <laughs> But it was a pleasure having you. Eric, any parting words? Man, I've been really into Dolly Parton lately. I have not listened to her, her catalog <laughs> ever. And I, I heard a song. Oh, you know what it was that they released a cover that she did of um, Collective Soul? Um, oh, wow. That, collective, that popular Collective Soul song. Uh, Shine Down? Shine. Yeah, Shine. And it's amazing. So I was like, you know what? I just need to listen to the rest of Dolly Parton because I've never listened to her music and then they also posted this interview that she had with Barbara Walters where kind of like Barbara Walter comes off condescending and she asks her these really bad questions and then Dolly Parton's answers are so incredible and it's just like I totally fell in love with her and her music is amazing (laughs) like I've never given it a chance like I just knew nine to five Jolene you know things like that but the rest of it is so good. Dolly There's Parton. so much amazing music in there. Dolly Parton is a fucking savage. So I, 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 it was one of those moments. I got to meet her when I lived in Tennessee. She's like this big. But when you realize, oh shit, I'm standing next to Dolly Parton. The empire that this woman has created. And she made a habit out of playing this dumb blonde. But she's fucking brilliant. So let me, uh, let me, I got to pull it up because. Well, she it, mentions that in the interview. She's like, this is just a costume I wear. It's an act. Yeah. This, is, an... this is not who I am. And um, it just, I, you, if you find it, it's an interview she had with Bubba Walters and it's about four minutes long. And, and you're just like, you totally fall in love with her there. You're like, this, wow. This is, this is the shocking thing. How, how much, what do you think her net worth is? I don't know. It's got to be like in the billions, dude. But she no. has. She owns a whole city, dude. Six. She pretty much owns Pigeon Forge. Yeah, six hundred and fifty million dollars. That's crazy. And so the funny thing is, when was the last time that you heard a brand new Dolly Parton song? Shine this week. No, I mean, aside from that, that's a, that's a cover. That's a cover. I mean, an original Dolly Parton song. Yeah, she, she owns Pigeon Forge, dude. But between Dollywood, between, I mean, her, her as a songwriter and how much, you know, how many times she's, I mean, shit, 
look, look what she did with Whitney Houston or what Whitney Houston did with her song. And all these other amazing songs that she's written or she's written for artists, that woman hasn't done anything musically. I mean, I'm sure she's performed, but all her wealth has been, you know, it's all business minded and, 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 you know, on music related to her performing or to her writing new music is she's a fucking businesswoman and everybody's you know like i because i've seen interviews where they she kind of plays the bubbly blonde and but it's all when i saw another interview with her it's all a fucking act she's despite the period that she grew up in you know and the male dominated genre of music and country and and she's amassed this crazy amount of wealth has this enormous amount of respect worldwide and yeah dude she's a badass i agree i agree Eric. i gotta i gotta listen to that shine cover but yeah. chanel I love the whole, um the the stupid blonde back too i think marilyn monroe was the first woman to really sort of coin that yeah. that was just an act for her and then followed by dolly parton and i feel like Paris Hilton is our new fake dumb blonde of our generation, but really a brilliant businesswoman behind it all. Um, but have you checked out Dolly Parton's, um, her uh, goddaughter is Miley Cyrus and her backyard sessions, her live backyard sessions are brilliant. I'm a, I'm a Miley fan, Eric, not so much. Agent Gilbert was is a big Miley fan too. I'm a fan of Miley. I think Miley's dope as shit. But Eric, I think if you watch her backyard sessions, you'll be a fan of hers like you are Dolly Parton's. It's just she my thing is that she's a cover singer. She's a well-paid cover artist. You literally just talked about a Dolly Parton Dolly Parton cover. Oh, no, I know, but that's all that's what listen, Miley <laughs> Cyrus's songs, her biggest songs are all covers. Her most but popular really songs. Good covers. They're really good. And this is coming from someone who's one of his go-to karaoke songs is Wrecking Ball, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that's how we're going to end the podcast. Eric came in like a Wrecking Ball. <laughs> Chanel, thank you once again. Ladies thank and gentlemen, you. we're thank out. You. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. You're cool. And fuck you, I'm out. Hmm. <laughs>